listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go ahead and find your place in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But it's going to take me a little while to get there because last week we began a new series titled A Better Way. And what we mean by that is that we can tend to have a focus about certain things and we can lose sight of, wow, God has something greater than maybe we could ever imagine. And so underneath this title of A Better Way, it's really a chance for us to to stop, to pause, and to be reminded about who we are as a church. And to be reminded of why are we even here. We'll talk about that in the form of our vision. Karen even mentioned it, and I love our leaders. It's, it's almost like every time we talk about this church, we've come to know it as a church that we want to grow communities build leaders, and to live generously for the glory of God. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to take each one of those pillars and we're going to talk about what it is, why is Bethel here, and what are we trying to accomplish. But last week, we felt like it was important to kind of stop and to make sure we understand something that even surpasses that. And we talked about the word success. Because we're all striving, whether we realize it or not, we're all striving, probably every moment of our lives, we're striving for some kind of picture that we have that we want to achieve. But we talked about it's really hard. First of all, it's hard because it's hard to define what success might look like. And we talked about a church specifically, because when I say a church, and I would say uh, what is a healthy church? What is a good church? How, what is a successful church? We could probably come up with all kinds of things. Some might say, well, it's the number of people that they have. The amount of programs that a church has. That, that makes a church successful. The quality of their facilities, whether they leak or not. And yes, ours leak, and we deal with it when it rains. The type of music. Quality of their small groups. The number of missionaries, or the number of mission trips they support. So our missions pastor is here today, Jeff Bice. So, Jeff, there's a missions plug. What about the size of their offerings or budgets? Are people being raised up and then sent out, no matter where they might be going to do what God has placed in the calling on their life? And we could come up with this list this, of what we think a successful church really is. I think sadly, oftentimes we tend to judge by what is most easily measured. But the second thing is that with success, it's sometimes we forget that the journey or how we get there is just as important as having kind of a grand idea, a vision of what we're trying to achieve that we can lose sight of. The process really matters, like coming to church this morning. Whether you realized it or not, you were striving for some form of success. For us, it was probably to get to church. 
It's important. We, we know we should be there. We want to be there. So whether we kind of had that mental idea or not is that we want to get to church, then we would have success. But how you get there is just as important because for some of you, it might have went a little different than others. Some of you, man, you woke up rested. You got up and you had a nice cup of coffee, great breakfast, you read your Bible, and you even had time to open up the tablet or the newspaper and kind of read, get caught up, took a nice hot shower, brushed your teeth, got in the car for a nice peaceful ride to church, maybe played some Christian music to set your heart right, and you got here. And success, but for others, it might have went just a little bit different. You woke up late, you forgot to set the coffee pot to go off, no one had any clothes laid out, and nothing was really clean, and nothing really seemed to match. Everybody's in a bad mood, you didn't get to take a shower, you didn't even have time to make sure everybody brushed your teeth. The yelling started. Everybody gets in the car and you throw some Pop-Tarts around hoping to catch one. There's a disagreement over something. And then you arrive and you made it. And so sometimes how we get there is just as important as the success of, of making that desired outcome happen. But hopefully... After last week, we saw that the idea of a healthy church, it, it really hinges upon one thing. Because if we mess this up, we don't get this right, really nothing else is going to matter. And we saw from Nehemiah 8 that the success of a church, it depends on how we handle, how we revere, and how we live by God's Word. That is the absolute most important thing. So as a church and as Christians, that should be what our lives are about. That everything else is really a byproduct of, of how we revere and how, how we handle and how we begin to try to live by what God has shown us. Because what happens in and through any church and what happens in and through our lives, it should be a byproduct of our response to the Holy Word of God. And so we'll begin now talking about this idea of growing communities, building leaders, and living generously. But I want to make sure that that's where we start. Everything that we do, we want grounded in Scripture. But I'm going to go out of order if that's okay. For some of us that are a little OCD, I don't know, that might bother us. But it's growing communities, building leaders, and living generously. But I want to start with building leaders. You see, leadership is this fascinating thing. It's fascinating. I mean, I, I love the idea. I love the idea of leadership. I like reading about it. I like watching it take place because it's so unique. But the most interesting thing about leadership is you could take 20 books and you would come up with 20 different definitions about what leadership is. They said it's, what's that phrase? It's kind of like trying to nail jello to a wall. It's just hard to do. How do you define leadership? But almost every definition that I come across, they seem to hint at or specifically say and focus about one word. Many are now beginning to say this in one accord, that you could boil leadership down to one word. Leadership is influence. 
So I want to ask you, do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a leader? Listen, for me, I never, never saw myself as a leader. I was always a small kid. I didn't really excel at any sport. I didn't stand out in that way. I never wanted to be in the spotlight. I never ran for a school office or anything like that. I was really most comfortable just going with the crowd. I didn't want to be the the one out front. And I'm a major introvert. I mean, I'm t- I would be just the opposite. Whatever a leader is to be, I would think, no, there is no way that will ever be me. I'll just get in some cubicle somewhere, and I'll do what somebody else tells me to do, and I'll just kind of stay out of the way. But it wasn't until I really began reading and, and studying the idea of leadership, I realized that if we have influence, we're a leader. So yes, school, sorry, kids starts this week. Parents, we know you're excited. But think about the youngest here. Some about to start kindergarten. I know Caleb's about to start, Abby's about to start, about to go to kindergarten. Think about even the influence that a small child would have. Think about the idea that there's going to be a playground. Some are going to abide by the rules, and guess what? Some are not. Some are going to include others in playing, and others will be mean. But each child has an opportunity to influence the other kids around them. And they don't even realize that it is happening. So if you have influence, you are a leader. Now that influence can be used in a positive way or a negative way. I mean, thinking of the things that have been happening in Charlottesville. I mean, here's an example of influence being used in a negative way. And so, man, me as a believer, as a Christian, as a leader, man, I want to stand up and say the alternate right, the the white supremacy, that should be denounced at every turn. That any form of racism is a sin. And we all struggle with it. We all think that the world must revolve around me and, and what I think. If anybody seems to be different than me, then that's a bad thing. I mean, aren't you excited to think about one day there's going to be some people that will be really disappointed at all the different people that will be in heaven one day. All peoples of walks of life and and talents and and careers and, and the colors of their skin or whatever it might be that all are going to be gathered around the throne of God. But influence can be used in a good way or a negative way. So everyone sitting here this morning, listen. You are a leader because God has saw fit to give you influence. So here's how we'll talk about it this morning. Our definition of leadership, I'd like to talk about it this way. Leadership is influencing someone else, using your influence that God will give you to help others to live according to the vision God has placed inside them. So listen, man, I was a quiet kid. Never wanted the spotlight, never thought of myself as a leader. But God had something that he placed within me, a vision. I didn't even know it was there. But I can think back of the people in my life that have been vested in my life and how God used their influence to help bring that out. So first I want to speak to us generally. And then I want to speak to a specific group of men. So... uh, This morning, 
If you're considering yourself a Christian, God has something very important and in store for you. Being a Christian means so many wonderful things, and we sang about them this morning. We sang about that we're known by God. You're forgiven through Christ. You are indwelled, and you are led, and you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. And being a Christian also means that you are to care about the life and the health of the body of Christ, His church. In fact, I think our, our influence is in so many different ways in arenas of life, and that is a great thing. But I believe the church is that one that we need to make sure that we are influencing heavily. It's the only thing that's eternal. It's God's plan for a broken and a lost world. There is no plan B. Plan A is the church. So that means we need to care about the church and what it is and what it should be because we belong to it. We are the body. In fact, we care for the church because it's the very body of our Savior and He is the head of our church. So caring about the church and using our influence can happen in so many ways. You investing in the lives of the children and the youth that God brings here. Welcoming newcomers and helping people find their place. That's influence. That's caring. Leading and investing in a life group. Inviting your neighbors and coworkers to join you in a small group or, or something we're doing in the community. Getting involved. And man, we could think of a hundred other ways about he, we, how we are to care and to use our influence for the church. Because it all comes down to, are we influencing others to live according to the vision God has placed inside them? And the question we need to be asking is, where am I doing that in my life? Where am I using the influence God gives me to help others live according to the vision God has for them? I love this. This is for me there is nothing more exciting than the church. Because God uses messed up sinful people that had been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to work something amazing and beautiful in the lives of others and he does it through his church. It's not perfect people who have it all figured out trying to help people that are not. We are in this amazing remodeling all together. And we need each other. So we're going to go to 1 Timothy 3. But to save time, I want to talk specifically to us from three quick passages individually. And then we will walk through 1 Timothy, the first part of chapter 3. When you're thinking of your leadership, when you're thinking of the leadership and the influence of those around you, let me point out three quick things. Let me read for us Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 12. For God is not just, unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire for each one of you to show the same earnestness to have a full assurance of the hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience they inherit the promises. So he's saying that God is working in our lives. Some moments bring a lot of joy. Some are ugly 
And they bring a lot of pain. But he's using them all to accomplish something great in our lives. And he says that it's our endurance and our perseverance. That there's this hope that we have and that we would have it until the very end. But notice this full assurance of who we belong to, this hope in the end. It's not a journey that you take on your own. In fact, it isn't a journey you can survive on your own. Because I'll be honest, this week for me, it's been a tough week. There's been some things that have happened, and man, it just seems like Satan was just hurling lies at me. Man, I'm thankful I've got a wife that encouraged me. I'm thankful that I have some men in my life that can, I can be open and honest with, and I can share what's going on. This journey, we can't and we shouldn't take it on our own. Galatians 5.13 It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So around every corner of life is an opportunity for life or for slavery. It's an opportunity to bring freedom or an opportunity of being under the control of something else. And he says it is by loving and serving each other that we used to stand up against that. That loving and serving each other, he says, is the path to escaping bondage and fulfilling God's call or vision for our lives. If we don't realize that when we are investing in other people and and we're allowing our influence to be used in a way, it is doing something miraculous. It's fighting for our faith. And the last one, Romans 12. It says, let love be genuine or pure or true. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. In fact, from verse 9 on... That chapter is describing a way of life that God is actually after. And it says he's actually producing in our lives. And love is at the top of the list. A a true, a genuine love for each other. And that's what God's after. And then he uses this word we'll talk about in a minute. Hospitality. Because I think it's often a word that we have one picture, but it's not full enough often. So what I'm seeing here is that we need to do all that we can to create opportunities for God to use us to experience God's full vision in our lives. Meaning we're in this together. Love and serving each other. And then we need to take advantage of the opportunities to influence others. Everyone here has influence. So... You have a card with you. Hopefully you do. If you didn't pick one up, we want you to take one before you leave. We want to help you to invest and to use your influence. 
And we believe the church is a great way to learn how to do that. So I asked Clint, I said, Clint, if you had 10 people that you don't already have on your teams, what do you need right now? Where do you need some investment? Where do you need some influence of other people? He said this, he said, two people currently in nursery first hour. One first hour for preschool, three in preschool second hour. Uh, first, uh, someone for, to help in the kindergarten and first, and one person in the second and third, and even sound and projection. Man, there are needs all around, and it's not a need of saying, hey, we need you to do this, but it's a way for you to invest and to use the influence that God has given you in the lives of other people. So here's what we'd simply ask you to do. If you're not currently investing in the lives of others, if you're not using your influence, we want to help. You simply put your name, your contact information. If there's something God's laying on you that said, yes, this is where I want my influence to be used, and then there is a box in the back on the table. Just put them in that box. And Clint or myself or one of our team leaders, we want to follow up with you. So now I want to talk to a specific group of men. You have your Bibles in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Two weeks ago, members of Bethel voted to affirm some new deacons and elders. And at the close of our service today, we are going to commission our new campus deacons, and our new campus elder. So 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy is one of Paul's pastoral epistles. And this is what this means. It means that Paul wrote this to a specific person that he's writing this letter, and he has someone that he is writing in mind. It's not a, a group of churches. It's one person, which means it is highly personal. In fact, Timothy and Titus are among the last things that Paul writes. Paul writes these letters around the early uh, 60 AD, maybe around 63, 64 AD. And he has spent time in Rome under house arrest. I believe he's released for a period of time. And then Paul writes to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. But he knows that just around the corner, he's about to be imprisoned again in Rome, where Paul will eventually be martyred. So picture this man late in his life, knowing he has given his life to this beauty of the church, that God met him on the Damascus road and would not leave him alone, and his life was forever changed. But Paul knows that he can't do this on his own, and he begins to surround himself with younger men. And so he is writing to this young man that he loves, that is leading the church in Ephesus. This young man has got incredible opportunities to influence others. So in this section, Paul is saying, Timothy, you can't do this on your own. The church, it needs more than just one man. So Paul's going to lay out a picture of the type of men that he needs to surround himself with. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says the saying, it's trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So this word overseer, it means, it means leader or it means elder. 
uh, someone that's going to help lead people. And it says that it is a noble task. It's something of honor. It's something worthy of pursuing. And then Timothy, or then Paul will give 15 requirements. Look at verse 2. Therefore, an overseer or an elder must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, who must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. This is where I just kind of want to walk off stage, you know. You're reading this, you're thinking, Lord. He says, for if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that they may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So just thinking about these words, meaning above reproach, meaning they're blameless in their behavior. But I'm thankful that it doesn't mean that they are perfect or without sin. Because if that's the case, we would not have had elders for the last 2,000 years. But it means that if there was something to come up against them, there would be no grounds for that charge or accusation against them. They're consistent. Husband of one wife, or that literally is translated a one-woman man. Meaning their affections must be centered exclusively on his wife. Sober-minded. So it's talking about his temperament, meaning he needs to be well-balanced, not tossed here or there. He's he's level-headed. Self-control. That he can keep himself in check. That he he isn't swayed and controlled by his emotions. He's respectable. Meaning one who attracts respect. He's not pompous in his attitude or his actions. And then that word hospitable. It means... You know, I think oftentimes we think of somebody that, that kind of opens up their home. And, and that's part of it. Hospitality is where that word comes from. But it means that they are looking for opportunities to welcome people into their lives. They're opening up themselves and they're inviting others to come in. And as messy as it may be, they want them to come in so that their influence can be used in their lives able to teach, they can handle the scriptures, able to understand it and to help others, not a drunkard, not violent with their hands or their words, they control their emotions and their anger, they're gentle, that word means kind, are they kind in spirit, not quarrelsome, it's a word means forbearing, they're patient, meaning they can bear with other people, not a lover of money, manage his own household well. He's not a recent convert. There needs to be some time for them to be discipled. And then I love the 15th one. Good reputation with those outside 
the church. Meaning not only are they known and loved here, but they represent our congregation to the world. Because Satan lacks nothing more than to disgrace God's work and God's people. And these men get to lead by example, and they get to stand in the gap for others. Now I want you to know we are blessed to have men like Paul Keel, Kent Miller, and Corey Mason leading us as elders. And in just a moment, we get the privilege and the honor of commissioning Steve Hudson to join them. But there's a second group of men. Look at verse 8. It says, deacons, or diakonos, means humble servant. Likewise, meaning these need to be men that also are of godly character. So let's look at our deacons in verse 8. They must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. And let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. Meaning, first of all, they're dignified. They're men worthy of respect. They're not double-tongued, meaning what they say is what they mean. You can trust their word, not addicted to too much wine. They're they're self-controlled, not greedy for dishonest gain. They're trustworthy. They're men of integrity. They hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, meaning they hold the deep truths of faith, meaning their conduct matches their beliefs. They practice what they confess. They must be tested, meaning known, observed, and experienced. Blameless. Once again, it doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without sin. But it means there are no accusations against them. They're free of any charge. And that's why as pastors and elders, we go and sit down with these new deacons and elders that are being considered. And we want to know them even deeper. We want to know about their marriage. We want to know where they stand financially. We want to know how they conduct themselves in their careers. We want to be in their homes and to watch how their children respond and their wives follow them. Dignified wives. Wives that are also worthy of respect. They're not slanderers or gossipers. They're sober-minded. They're well-balanced. They're faithful in all things. Meaning, guys, that you marry up. And that's exactly what we know we all do. Husband of one wife, meaning their affections are for her and her alone. They manage their children and their house well. They prioritize those they are closest to. And listen, we are blessed to have men like Clinton Carr and Charlie Crum that have been faithful deacons over the last year with Steve Hudson also. And then this morning, we're so thankful to have men joining them. Stephen Swindell, Chris Winfield, Adam McMahon, Brian Kennedy, and Mike Coslow. And I'm telling you, that is a group of men that I would stand with all day long. But I want you to notice verse 13 before we commission these men. 
is talking specifically to the deacons, but I believe it has the idea that, that it, it also goes to the elders and even those that are in the congregation. It says, for those who serve as deacons, because they first of all been a part of the church and then they become deacons, they gain two things. A good understanding for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Meaning men who fulfill this servant role, they gain two things. First of all, it says they gain an excellent standing before their fellow Christians. Meaning we appreciate and we understand the beauty of humble, selfless, Christ-like service. And deacons, they get to be an example for us. And then through fulfilling their calling, their character becomes stronger and we get to watch and learn from them. The second thing, it says they gain a greater assurance of your faith. I mean, who wouldn't, who can't say, listen, I need stronger faith. Listen, that's been me this week. I, I mean, you feel attacked in so many ways. But we realize it's not in our own strength. It's not even in the amount of faith I might have. It's the object of my faith that matters. And so humble service, it says a lot of times which lacks rewards according to the world's standards, it gives you a greater assurance of who you belong to in your purpose in life. Meaning when you're fulfilling this calling of leading and serving, your faith will grow. And your church gets to watch and experience that with you. So deacons and elders have the great honor of living out the example of Christ by leading and serving and loving Christ's church and this congregation. So as our deacons and elders are here to lead us in humble service to Christ and His church, we need you desperately. In congregation, they need us as well. We need to be praying for these men. Praying for their marriages. Because these men, I love how someone once said it, that Satan will now put their crosshair center on them because they are stepping out for a greater influence. You know, I could not be more thankful and more excited about the men God has been raising up at Bethel. So the vision of Bethel is building leaders. But that includes all of us because we all have influence. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.